How real is the kingdom of God to you? And how do you envision the world ahead? Now, many people have made up stories out of their own imaginations and sometimes hallucinations about what God's kingdom will be like. Of course, they would lump it under the broad heading of heaven. Author Michael Vallens wrote, As for me, I'll go fishing, write stories and play music, act in plays, see concerts, study, work in my garden, eat curry, photograph, interact with my family, all things I love to do now, but this time surrounded by eternal peace and beauty. And then quoting a supposed eyewitness, uh, Mrs. Wickenham explains, well, my daughter, who left us in early childhood on earth, has received a fine musical training here in heaven. And she is fond of gathering in her young friends and giving us Quite a musical treat. And the uh, child grew up in heaven. And, of course, all the chocolate you can eat. Another author, uh, Ron Reinold, had these comments to make. To the degree that the fruits of the Spirit were evident or developed in the earthly life, so are you skilled in the heavenly life. For example those who are musically inclined on earth, whether with an instrument or as a soloist, make the fastest progress in heaven or in paradise in that area. So if you sing in the choir or as a soloist on earth, you'll be able to aspire to be included in the heavenly choir before the throne of God. In other words, there is a wonderful work in heaven for you to do if you want to or if you're asked to do it by Jesus or God our Father. No one in heaven balks when asked to work, because they know it is tasked by a loving God for their own benefit and their spiritual maturing process. Another author writes, Heaven or paradise is constantly shifting shape because it is a history of subconscious human longings. Show me your heaven, and I'll show you what's lacking in your life. I guess I've never thought much about what heaven is like and how that has changed over the years. I believe in it, of course, but I don't spend any time wondering what it is like. If it were me, heaven would be a large, dark, book-lined library opening up into a sunny veranda where my friends and the family are having an endless conversation over an endless meal delivered out over a perfect kitchen just off the patio. Then one last comment by Mellon Thomas Benedict. He writes, I saw the Christian heaven. We expect it to be a beautiful place, and you stand in front of the throne, worshiping forever. I tried it. It is boring. This is all we're going to do? It's like childlike. I don't mean to offend anyone. Some heavens are very interesting. Some are very boring. I found the ancient ones to be more interesting, like the Native American ones, the happy hunting grounds, or the Egyptians. They have fantastic ones. It goes on and on.
There are so many of them. Brethren, these are human ideas, human imaginations. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9, it is written, according to the Apostle Paul here in this letter to the Corinthian brethren, he says, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them or those who love him. Uh, brethren, we can't make up what God has in mind for us in the kingdom. That has to be revealed uh, through the very Spirit of God and through God's Word. The truth is that we can only get a taste of what the kingdom of God is like, again, through the very inspiration of the eternal God, as well as in certain ways God has already worked in our lives. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 28. Matthew 16, verse 28. Jesus Christ was able to give the apostles a very special insight into the world ahead. He writes at the very end of Matthew 16, in verse 28, Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, after six days, as we go on into chapter 17, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, brought them upon a high mountain by themselves, and was transfigured before them, changed. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, taking uh, talking with him. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, why would uh, Peter have thought about booths or tabernacles? Except that it represented what God had in mind for the Feast of Tabernacles, the coming kingdom and rule of God on this earth. And while he was still standing, verse 5, Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, don't be afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. This was, again, a vision that God had given them. And Christ even instructed in verse 9, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. So God did give a, an insight, a vision, a picture of tomorrow's world to three of his apostles. So it had been almost like, again, a three-dimension a technicolor, uh, IMAX-type vision uh, to those people, very, very real. And Peter was so moved by what he had seen that years later he never forgot. In fact, in First Peter 1, he wrote, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received from God 
the Father uh, honor and glory. And when there came such a voice to him from an excellent glory, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mountain. So again, he refers back to that incredible experience that Peter, James, and John had when Christ was transfigured in vision. On another occasion, the Apostle Paul visualized the third heaven in such a remarkable way that he was unable to tell whether he was truly there or if he was there in vision. Again, that real. And Stephen, just before his death, cried out, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Now, brethren, we haven't been given such personal, dramatic views of the kingdom as these men had. However, each of the annual feasts picture an aspect of God's grand design for humankind, including aspects of the kingdom. On the Feast of Tabernacles and the last great day, you know, we leave our homes and communities to gather with brethren from all over the world, and even those who may have to stay at home because of illness or other circumstances still uh, hear sermons, and they celebrate what this feast has to offer and mean. Uh, we enjoy a time of prosperity, of eating and drinking. And again, eating and drinking, that seems to be the common theme. We love to eat and drink among God's people, and we fellowship with one another. And again, not just for one day and then go home, but for many days if possible. We hear daily messages of the coming kingdom of God. These experiences give us a glimpse of how things will be. But do you realize God gives us more? Now, I don't mean to sound like a TV infomercial. I'll just send in 1999 for this fabulous miracle blender. But wait, you know, if you act now, there is more. We'll throw in a full set of Ginzu steak knives. Well, God does offer us more. Not, not that fake kind of a more that these commercials give us, but God does give us more in regard to understanding and experiencing a taste of the world ahead. In the middle of a very serious warning, the Apostle Paul writes in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4, and then going on to verse 6, he says, It is impossible for those who are once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift, have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. If they should fall away, to renew them again to repentance. But did we grasp what the Apostle Paul was inspired to write? We have tasted the good word of God and have tasted the powers of the world to come. Brethren, how have we tasted the powers of the world to come? And that's the title and subject of today's sermon, A Taste of the World Ahead Today. You know, God has given His church, His people, a taste of the power and, a, in a sense, an aspect of the world ahead. Let's turn to First Thessalonians 
chapter 1. In the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1, verse 4, Paul writes, But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Uh, Again, again, going on to, uh, excuse me, I want to pause here. I think I've got the wrong scripture. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1, uh, verse uh, 4, excuse me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. You know, God has selected you. He's picked you out for a very special calling. Verse 5. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. But it does talk about the gospel coming in power. We have a foretaste of that power of the kingdom of God in the church today. Now, and since we not only uh, read about, again, the gospel, but we certainly experience parts of it. There are events in the world ahead which we experience today. Now, how is that so? How is that so? Well, let me go through just some aspects of the world ahead that prophetically say, uh, again, these prophecies reveal will happen when Jesus Christ returns and begins to establish his kingdom on this earth. And I want to bring that back to us and showing how we are at least getting partially an aspect of that in our lives. Let's turn to Isaiah 35 and verse 3. Isaiah chapter 35, and let's come to verse 3. Isaiah writes, Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful-hearted, Be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. The tongue of the, uh, it says, the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For waters will burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. So we're talking about the millennium here, a time when God blesses the the world in such a wonderful physical way, healings of the flesh and even healings of the wilderness where uh, now the arid parts of the world become beautiful and watered, and like, again, the Garden of Eden. Well, brethren, have we tasted such powers of the world to come? Uh, brethren, we have. You know, we experience in a smaller way that same kind of, of healing today. Let's turn to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. Let's begin here in verse 15.
He said to them, referring to Jesus Christ, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned or judged. And these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues or languages. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and those sick will recover. So it's something that God said would, would be part of the fruits of his church and his people. As an example, we come to Matthew chapter 12 and verse 28. Matthew chapter 12, here in verse 28, uh, Christ here is casting out demons, and he comments, But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Uh, what he means is the power that will be part of the very kingdom of God is represented by that very act of casting out demons, the authority. Uh, what God, frankly, is going to do in casting out uh, Satan uh, before the world ahead actually begins. But that power of the kingdom is demonstrated in that act of casting out the demon. In Luke 10, we see another example, and we're going to be bringing this up to our modern time. Luke chapter 10 and verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also, and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then we come and go to verse 9. He says, heal the sick who are there. And then what does he say? He says, you say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So again, in the world ahead where the kingdom of God established on the earth, where the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the lame will leap like a deer, uh, all these wonderful healings. Uh, when, when those individuals are healed at that point today or back then, as Christ instructed the 70, he said, you know, the kingdom of God has come to you. You know, a picture, a, a, uh, the power of the kingdom of God is involved in that act of healing. Uh, we know in... Psalm 103 is one of the blessings. We talk about the blessings of the the uh, millennium. Well, we can go back to Psalm 103, a passage of Scripture that I know in the ministry we review from time to time because we do anoint for the sick, and we want to have, again, that constant faith and assurance that what we do does represent the faith of God. But here in Psalm 103 and verse one, bless the eternal, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the eternal, O my soul, and don't forget all his benefits. Well, what are some of his benefits? In the same ones that Isaiah talks about will be in the world ahead. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, and crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth 
is renewed like the eagles. Again, he reminds us in this context, verse 19, the eternal has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. And his kingdom, frankly, does rule over the church of God. Now, Christ is the head, and he gives certain powers of that coming kingdom to the church today. Notice James chapter 5 and verse 13. Again, the book of James, chapter 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? suffering? Then let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven." Confess your trespasses to one another. Pray one for another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Brethren, we believe that. We practice that in the church of God. When we think of that, you know, and these kind of things will be happening in the world ahead, as we read in Isaiah, you know, that same kind of thing is going to happen and has happened in the church today. You've heard Mr. Merritt describe Mr. Howard Clark being healed. Again, a paraplegic. Now, when I was in college, I didn't, you know, see that great miracle, but I did see him after he was healed. And he's one of the professors. And we saw him walking and talking. Uh, so that was a graphic illustration of the power of God to heal. Well, that's going to happen in the world ahead. There are going to be individuals who are paraplegics or who are the lame, and they're going to leap like the deer. You know, how many of you have been healed by God? How many of you have known of someone healed? Just recently during the Feast of Trumpets, a member was brought out in a chair, slumped over. I just, come, just came through the door, and here he was slumped over. His pace, uh, face was pale. Uh, you know, I couldn't tell what had happened. All I know is some brethren saying, you've got to anoint him right away. Uh, so without knowing exactly what went on, uh, we anointed him. In just a few seconds, he came to consciousness. And he said, you know, where am I? <laughs> what happened? Well, he, he, his consciousness was still there, so he decided he'd better find out what had happened. So he went to the emergency room or the hospital. Well, it turns out through medical tests, the medical personnel and doctors verified that apparently a blood clot had actually passed through his heart. Now, they couldn't find the clot after that, and one of the uh, doctors rec uh, mentioned, you know, someone has been watching over you. Well, God healed him. You know, we don't know whether he was dead, but he was certainly unconscious. And if God hadn't intervened, he could certainly have been either killed or dead, uh, or certainly severely crippled uh, through that experience. It was tremendous healing. Uh, there have been many others healed. Just ask your local pastor or, or elder, and you'll find uh, there there are many examples. Uh, we know others have been, some have been healed from deadly blood infections, like uh, Loma Armstrong was in the early years of this Philadelphia era of the Church of God. 
Uh, we know there are individuals who heal cancer. Uh, I mean, not just at the beginning stages, but right at the end when one would think all hope is lost. And God cleansed the body from cancer so that skin became normal and whole once again. Uh, we know individuals have been healed of heart diseases where a doctor has said, you know, your heart is damaged. And yet after the operation, well, the heart is good, good condition. Uh, we have seen individuals who have broken bones, and we've seen the x-rays. And by the time that their arms or their legs were to, be, to uh, put the cast on, the uh, x-rays were taken again, and no sign of a broken bone or limb. There have been demons cast out of individuals. There have been demons removed from houses they had haunted. Uh, these things have happened. They do continue to happen. And there have been other miracles. There have been accounts of members saved from would-be attackers where God simply sent angels to protect them. A home has been protected from break-ins. Uh, we know there have been many accounts of individuals protected from uh, car accidents, head-on collisions. Now, do these miracles happen every day to every member? No. My point is these miracles do happen. And they show the kind of acts God will do in the coming future. You know, these, are, these acts are a taste of the power of the kingdom of God and the world ahead. We're simply seeing a little sampling of that power and kingdom. But it is there for our encouragement and makes the kingdom of God very, very real. Because these things will happen on a massive scale when Christ returns. Now, if we go back to Isaiah chapter 11, there's another aspect of the world ahead. In the book of Isaiah, in chapter 11, this time in verse 6, we find here, it says, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones will lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. A wonderful picture of natural maybe enemies that would normally injure or eat one another. Uh, in peace, being together. It says, The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. The point is, they shall not hurt, they shall not destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We pray for that. We look forward to that. But do we understand that we actually have a taste of that divine knowledge today? That very knowledge that will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea do we fully understand that we have part of that knowledge already revealed to us? Notice Mark chapter 13 and verse 10. If you'll turn to again to Mark chapter 13, verse 10. Uh, we find again that, excuse me, uh, let's turn to Matthew. Now, sometimes we, uh, we ministers are able to, uh, quote-unquote, fake <laughs> Uh, a, a particular passage, let me just 
you know, let you in on the secret of the ministry. There are times when there are actually uh, several passages that, that apply to the subject. And we may get the wrong one, but if it applies, we just pretend that uh, that's exactly the one we intended to turn to in the first place. Uh, but sometimes we can't get away with that. Uh, so we have to, uh, again, let you in that, well, we made a mistake. Uh, let's turn to Matthew 13 and uh, verse 10. And this is where I really want to go. Uh, the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, a knowledge of God's way of life and his word and his power. But to them it has not been given. That has not yet been given. For whoever has to him more will be given and he will have abundance, and whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they don't see, hearing they don't hear, they don't understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand. Seeing you will see, but not perceive. For the heart of this people has grown dull, the ears hard of hearing. Their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their heart and turn that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes. See, your eyes see. And blessed are your ears, for your ears hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And, you know, those very words are recorded in the Scripture. And so we read those words, and God has given us understanding through His Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, now, we need to truly appreciate what God has given us, what we're learning here at the Feast of Tabernacles and, and on the weekly Sabbath. And all through the years, we study our, our Bibles. But 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9, he says, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And God is preparing a kingdom and a world ahead and a future without end for his people. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. See, through God's Spirit, God gives us understanding and a knowledge of the divine kingdom. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. And the things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual now, the natural mind doesn't understand these things, as uh, Paul goes on to write. They don't receive the things of the Spirit of God 
To them, these are foolish things. And they can't know them because they are spiritually discerned. And yet God has given us an understanding. And part of the reason we find in Psalm 111, you know, why this is so. In the book of Psalms, we turn to one particular psalm, Psalm 111 and verse 10. This is a scripture that many people have memorized, and it's a good one to add to your to your memory. But it says here in Psalm 111, verse 10, the fear of the eternal is the beginning of wisdom. And don't we learn the fear of God? We learn to fear God at the Feast of Tabernacles. It's one of the reasons we're here. A good understanding have all those who do His commandments and His praises endure forever. And so we have a good understanding of God's Word, uh, an understanding that the world eventually all over, all nations will have. And we know in Isaiah 66 that eventually all the world will be keeping, all flesh will be keeping the weekly Sabbath. We know in Zechariah 14, all nations will begin to keep the annual festival, starting with Egypt, as it reveals there. And by keeping those feasts, as we are right now, they're going to reap understanding. And they're going to begin to understand the very plan of God that we already understand now. You know, that's the, the beautiful thing. So as the knowledge of God will cover the earth, we have part of that knowledge right now in the church of God. In the book of Colossians, chapter 2 and verse 16, Colossians 2, verse 16, uh, we find that, again, the Apostle Paul writing, he says, Therefore, let no one judge you or call you into question or condemn you in food or in drink, or in regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, verse 17, which are a shadow or foreshadow things to come, but the body of Christ. So we find that God's revealed through the body of Christ, and since the church is the bulwark of the truth, that God reveals knowledge not only of things now in regard to God, but things to come in the future kingdom of God. So again, we have a taste of having knowledge that eventually all nations will partake of. If we go back to Isaiah chapter 9, uh, we see something else happening in the world ahead. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It begins, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it, to establish it with judgment and justice, from that time forward, even forever. And the zeal of the eternal of hosts will perform this. We know God's government will be ruling over all the earth, over their creation. 
But we have a taste of that government in the church today. Again, if we have eyes to see it, we're going to see that we have that government ruling over us already in advance. Notice in Philippians, book of Philippians, chapter 3, and verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven. Now, we're not in heaven. We're on this earth. We are human beings begotten by the Spirit of God. But our citizenship is not, no matter what country we're from or territory, really, we're citizens of the kingdom of God, the government of God from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we know that he'll transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able to even subdue all things to himself. But the point is, we are citizens now. Uh, We have been brought to real repentance. We have brought, been brought to a good understanding of God's ways. We are learning the laws of God, the laws of the kingdom. And if we turn to James chapter 2, we'll find that's exactly the way it's expressed. In uh, James chapter 2, verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, and again that expression, the royal law, the law of the kingdom, the very law that the great lawgiver, the king of kings, will uh, have all nations of the earth follow. And notice, it's based on you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. So all the law is based on outflowing concern by the eternal God of his wisdom and his intellect and what is good for mankind. And so he explains what that law is, is if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point is guilty of all. We can't just throw out part of God's law. But notice what law he's talking about. He who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder... You become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to those who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So we know the laws we're talking about, and we are keeping those laws now. You know, we're not, we don't need to turn back to Exodus, but uh, we know that we're talking about the Ten Commandments. And what those laws are. And so these are the very same laws that will be enforced in the world ahead that will be a blessing to those people in that time period. And we're already, uh, again, keeping that in our lives today. Let's turn to Colossians, back to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. And uh, let's go to... Verse 12 says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. And again, don't don't get sidetracked by the word qualify. All it means, we, we meet the standards. 
we meet the expectations of God to be a part of His kingdom. And we know that takes God's Spirit. We can't do that of and by ourselves. But we have to meet the very standards of the kingdom of God. It says, verse 13, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of His sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or power. All things are created through Him and for Him. So we know what being we're talking about. This is God. But notice here verse 17, And He is before all things, in Him all things consist, and He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He may have the preeminence. But again, do we understand that? The very King of kings over all the earth is already head of the church of God. You know, it's a wonderful thing to to think about. In fact, Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, just like the uh, saints will rule with Christ, uh, notice how he sets up that government in the church and the motivation of it. Uh, Ephesians 4, verse 8. Uh, he says, Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captive, Captivity captive and gave gifts to men. And then he talks about in verse 11, he says, He himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Now, just like the saints will rule with Christ in the world ahead, we're already learning uh, uh, how to rule with Christ. And God has appointed some human beings. Uh, admittedly, again, we're not God beings yet. Uh, we may be imperfect, but we are growing. You know, we are trying to do uh, and be led uh, by what the God Spirit would have us do uh, through the Word of God. Uh, but it's God who appoints His servants to serve. Uh, you know, Mr. Herbert Armstrong, you know, he didn't uh, plan on being an apostle. He was uh, among uh, individuals in Oregon that God called him and said he had to kind of shake him and, and make him understand that he was to be used to begin this era of the church of God. And, you know, Dr. Merritt didn't politic. He didn't take a poll of God's people. And uh, how many would like me to be, you know, uh, revive the work of God? Uh, no, God called him to do that. And to, you know, again, what God put in his mind and heart, he simply started out preaching the, the gospel of God. And God, again, worked through him until we have, again, what we have now today, the living church of God. Uh, but, again, all part of God's government. You know, God is the one who does these things. And he says in verse 12 of Ephesians chapter 4, the purpose is not for self-aggrandizement, not for vanity, not for oppression, but for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry or serving for the edifying, meaning the building up of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect or mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Isn't that what God will do in the millennium? 
in the world ahead, but it's happening right now in the church of God, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness by which they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto him who is the head. And verse 16 showing how we all work together. I mean, the whole body uh, is, is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share and causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And that's the, the, the beauty, the pleasure of God's government in the church today. And so maybe we don't do it perfectly yet, but we're growing to that effect. But it's going to be wonderful in the world ahead. And that's going to yield fruit all over the world. Uh, in Matthew 20, and we're learning already what the government is going to be like in the world ahead. And as we practice this government, it is going to, again, bear tremendous results. I mean, eventually, as Isaiah talks about, there'll be great nations working together. Egypt will be working with Assyria, or modern-day Germany. And they'll be working with Israel. There'll be three great nations in the world ahead, all being built up to learn the way of God to serve and to contribute to the benefit of all concerned. Uh, here in Matthew 20, verse 20, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him and her sons, kneeling down, asking something from him. And Jesus Christ, very patiently, said, You know, what, what do you want? What, what do you wish? And she said to him, and this is, again, typical of a mother. You know, mothers want the best for their children. Uh, you know, so uh, Zebedee's mother here, uh, yes, of uh, mother of Zebedee's sons, uh, didn't do something horrible and wrong, but it was just typical. She said, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. Now, Jesus was honest with her, and she said, you know, you don't know what you ask. You no, know, he didn't rebuke her, didn't say, you know, you're, you know this, is, this is stupid, or, uh, you know, you're, you're carnal, you know, this is a vanity request. No, he simply answered, you know, you really don't understand what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. And they said to him, you know, we're able. You know, their hearts were right. They thought they could. He said to them, you know, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. I mean, eventually, they were going to have to give their lives in martyrdom because they believed Jesus Christ and about the kingdom of God. So he said, that's going to happen. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those who, for whom it is prepared by my Father. So just as we saw in Ephesians, it is God who sets uh, those who should be given certain responsibilities or authority in the church, in this case, in the world ahead. But when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brothers. They probably thought, well, we didn't get to Christ first. Uh, you know, maybe they got the benefit here. Well, that wasn't what God had in mind. 
So Jesus said, called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Now, whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your slave, your bond servant. And whoever, uh, just as the Son of Man, uh, verse uh, 28, uh, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. So again, we know that Christ certainly is in charge of his kingdom. But notice his attitude of love and serving and being very concerned with individuals, not to be an oppressor or a dictator, not just for the self. And he was teaching future leaders of the world ahead that uh, that role, that attitude. And remember, the uh, 12 apostles will be over 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, we see that in Revelation. Uh, now, that's exciting, or in other places here in the Gospels. Uh, so we realize that what we're doing now, learning servant leadership, is actually what we'll be doing in the world ahead as God beings. As we work with nations and uh, states and cities, we're going to be learning to rule and to guide, but again, with that spirit of love and attitude. And so we're already, again, getting a taste of what it's going to be like to rule in the world ahead. Now let's turn to Isaiah 25. One more aspect of the world ahead. Isaiah 25, verse 6. In this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of wild refined wines on the, or well refined wines on the lees, and he will destroy on the mountain the service of the covering cast over all people, the veil that is spread over all nations. And he will swallow up death forever. And the eternal God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. And it will be in that day, behold, this is our God, uh, we have waited for him, and he will save us. Notice, he will save us. This is the eternal. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. So again, God is going to offer salvation to all those who live over and are born during that millennial reign of Christ, that thousand-year period. Uh, he's going to work with people and change their human natures. Isaiah 52 and verse 9. Isaiah 52, verse 9. He says, you know, again, break forth into joy. Sing together, you waste place of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people, he has redeemed Jerusalem. The eternal has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of of our God. Well, brethren, what's happening in the church of God today? Do you realize that I know there's only a first fruits, uh, only a, compared to the billions of the world, only a few uh, in the church of God, 
But do you realize God has offered the salvation to us now, ahead of the time, that very same salvation He is going to offer to all the nations of the earth. We're getting, again, a taste of what it's going to be like at that time period. Uh, In Acts chapter 2, just like what happened at that Pentecost when after the death of Christ and when he was ready to pour out his spirit on the church, notice here in Acts chapter 2 how it's worded, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, that is, those who were being called, and God was granting them repentance, they were cut to the heart. It meant something to them, and they felt it. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said to them, You repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be safe from this perverse generation. Uh, Do you realize that's what's going to be happening in the world ahead? That individuals are going to come to really understand, you know, why... The earth has suffered for 6,000 years. They're going to understand the sacrifice of Christ. They're going to be cut to the heart, spiritually circumcised, come to real repentance. And God's going to pour out His Holy Spirit on them. And salvation will be offered to all nations around the earth, as Isaiah was inspired to say. Uh, Already, you know, we are experiencing that. Ephesians chapter 1 And verse 13, Ephesians 1, verse 13. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed, the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the guarantee, that is the down payment, the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. Again, what we are experiencing, what ultimately billions will experience in the world ahead, in the years ahead. And we're already experiencing that. God has already given us a, a, the earnest money, the down payment of what is yet to come. We're going to be eventually fully born in the family of God as God-beings. But right now, we've got the promise of that through the begettle of His Holy Spirit. In Second Peter, chapter 1. In Second Peter, chapter 1, and verse 3. As His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, You see, God has already given everything we need for life and godliness. Uh, That's going to happen to, again, everyone. At least be offered to everyone when Christ returns and sets up His kingdom on this earth. In Romans chapter 8, 
Romans chapter 8. We'll come to verse 14. That's where we want to start. In Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, that is, sonship, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, you know, Daddy, Father, a close relationship with our God. And the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children and heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified together. And do we realize this is going to happen countless times, you know, to those surviving into the millennium and then being born that millennium. Uh, God's going to work with them. They're going to come to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and God the Father. They're going to receive, again, the opportunity for salvation. Uh, they're going to begin to grow in the fruit of God's Spirit. Uh, let's turn again to Galatians chapter 5, because I want to mention this in particular. Because when we think of the millennium, really we're thinking of the end result of the fruit of God's Spirit. And that's going to just take place time and time again over that thousand-year period. The human beings are going to learn how to love, how to love their neighbor as themselves. That's how they get peace and how nations no longer go to war. They learn how to have, again, outgoing concern toward their neighbor. Love is also the keeping of the commandments. So they're going to learn the royal laws of the kingdom. And that's going to eliminate the crime and the violence and the evils of the world ahead. They're going to experience joy. And again, there's so many descriptions of the millennium uh, where, where uh, you know, children play and they laugh in the streets. And, uh, you know, even grandparents, the great-grandparents can uh, sit down and, and watch them play and laugh. Uh, there's great joy in the kingdom of God. There will be peace. You know, people will be satisfied with the lot that God has given them. And no matter where the nations are established, where the boundaries are, uh, there's not going to be a bad place to live. If it's in a desert area, you know, God says the deserts blossom like the rose. Uh, so in other words, God is going to provide a wonderful area for all people to, to be. But this fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace, uh, that's part of the millennial blessings. Long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Again, against such there, there is no law. If it's all within the royal laws of God. It's, again, this is what God has to offer. You know, what a wonderful future. Again, my point being that we're already experiencing these kind of things in the church of God today. Do we really understand that? No, we haven't had the visions that Peter, James, John had, or the Apostle Paul saw, or that Stephen saw. But we have very tangible things that God has given us in regard to the kingdom of God. You see, the kingdom of God is real. And we're receiving a foretaste of that kingdom in the church of God today. Now, what will happen will be on a far grander scale when Jesus Christ returns in power and glory. Uh, there, there's no question. 
You know, there'll be uh, multiple healings and, and blessings. But it is still happening on a smaller scale in the church today. The gospel of the kingdom is being preached. We have a knowledge of that kingdom. Uh, we understand that kingdom. And we understand all that entails. That's happening today. In the world ahead, it'll be again all over the earth. Uh, healings and miracles are taking place in the church today. Now, we would love more. We pray for more healings in the church today. But they are happening. And they are provable. They are truly real. Well, they're going to happen in the world ahead. Again, uh, throughout the whole world, throughout all nations. Uh, today in the church, the Word of God is being understood and taught. It is. Now, we're growing in grace and knowledge, but it is being understood and taught Men and women are being called. They are granted repentance. They are baptized. They're receiving the Holy Spirit. Again, it's on a small scale, but it'll be on that greater scale in just a few years from now. Human nature is being changed as we grow in godly character. The royal laws of the kingdom are being kept in the church today. As we yield more to God and grow in faith, will be receiving even a larger taste and picture of the world ahead. Let's acknowledge that evidence that God has revealed of his kingdom. He has given us evidence. He has given us a taste of the world ahead. Let's be persuaded of the reality of the world yet to come. Let's embrace what God promises Let's desire the future that God has prepared for us. Let us seek that kingdom and all that it means with all of our heart so we can be in that kingdom and share on a a greater scale what God has given to us in his church today.